And we are con- continuing a sermon series. You go, man, we got like three sermon series going on at the same time. We just finished up Esther, uh, Pastors in the Middle of Luke. And in January, I started a sermon series looking at the patriarch Isaac. And what does he have to do with saints today? We will continue that here today and also uh, throughout the rest of this year. If you, if you could invest $10 a month starting right now and know that one year from now you would not only have $120, but you would have $150, would you be willing to do that? That's a pretty decent return on your investment. It's true in this life with everything that we do, that you have to give something up to get something in return. If you want to be married, you are going to give up your freedom, the freedom of a single person. Uh, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer you are, or an athlete, think of a professional athlete, hours upon hours upon hours, you are going to sacrifice free time. Some lines of work will cause you to have to sacrifice your diet, what you eat. You are going to have to eat different things. If you'd like to eat a lot, then an Olympic swimmer would be perfect for you. But you have to sacrifice to attain ultimately a desired end. But while you're on that journey, you may find that you are knocked off your path, over things you have no control over. A professional athlete might blow out a knee so badly that his career is over. A singer may end up with a tumor on their larynx, and their hopes and dreams of performing in the Metropolitan Opera would be suddenly ended. You get married and you're thinking, oh, we're going to have a large family. That's our intention. It's our hope to have a large family. But infertility derails that plan. So what do you do? Do you quit? Uh, Or do you continue? Do you turn to booze or do you just go to bed? Do you work harder? Do you become a workaholic? Or do you start to pursue satisfaction in women? Do you become a gym rat or do you bury yourself in junk food? These things are true for everybody under the sun, for all people. If they're true for all people, these things are true for believers as well. You're going to have to give something up to get it. And as you pursue that end, it may be derailed in ways that you never expected. Today we're going to turn back to the life of Isaac and see a pivotal event within Scripture. This isn't some thing you've probably not heard of before, but it is vital for understanding Israel as a people and ultimately God's love and sacrifice for us. So where have we been? We have, as we've looked at Isaac's life, we saw God's call to Abraham In Genesis chapter 12, he was living up in modern-day Iraq, and God promised him, I am going to make your name great. 
I'm going to give you descendants as many as the as much as the sand on the seashore, and you are going to be a blessing blessing to all people. And Abraham was like, yes. And Abraham got up and went. Abraham didn't flinch. He went when God sent him from Iraq to the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel. Long journey. Thing was, though, Abraham had no kids. His wife Sarah was barren. But throughout Abram's, Abram's then became Abraham's sojourning, three times God told him this was going to be. So, this is my promise to you. Three times. And still he has no kids. And so, he starts to get worried and starts to take matters into his own hands. Uh, once he goes, well, here, God, here's my servant, Eliezer of Damascus. And God went, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a descendant. And Sarah, his wife, is going, this isn't happening. So here's my handmaid. And Abraham says, sure. And they have a child, Ishmael. And God goes, mm-mm, not him either. It's going to be through Sarah. Man, this, 75 years old when the call happened, Ultimately, God fulfills his promise in our last message back in January when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah 91. A miracle of God. Today, in a single event, we are going to see the great lengths that God will go to help his lost creatures find their joy in him. I hope you heard that in the in the lyrics of the songs that we sang today. The lengths that God will go to help his lost creatures find their joy in him and to trust in him when life takes an apparent turn for the worst. So we're starting in uh, Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 and we first see here this morning a staggering test. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, God's testing. I would contend and I would argue that God puts every one of his creatures to the test. It is called life. What do you do with this life is a test. You know, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, as you read through scripture over and over again, you're going to see God put his people to the test. When Israel left Egypt and started progressing to the promised land in Exodus 15, right off the bat, he put them to the test in the desert as they had no water. You're going through the desert, you have no water. God puts them to the test. Will you trust me? And God provides for them water. They have no food in the next chapter of Exodus. And again, God is testing them to see, how will you respond to me? How will you respond? And he provides for them manna. As he provided the Ten Commandments to them in Exodus chapter 20, we also see God puts them to the test simply in his presence as they hear his voice thunder from the mountain. How will they respond to me? Now, I hope you're, some of you at least, are wondering, doesn't God know? Isn't God omniscient? Shouldn't he know these things? 
And I would say yes. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 reads, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient things, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It's not that God's going, man, I wonder what they're going to do. God's not like that. God knows what you are going to do. This is, this testing is a proving. David, in Psalm 26, asks God to do this very thing to him. He, he calls out to God, he says in, in Psalm 26 too, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Think of uh, an assayer. You know, you see an old gold miner panning for gold and he gets a nugget and he pulls it out and he bites it with his teeth. He's proving it. He is testing it. If he doesn't know, he's going to take it to a guy in town called an assayer who is going to test it to prove if it is actually what it is. God knows, but we see man's faith is proven in its action. Man's faith is proven in its action. Think of faith as a seed. You go, I have faith. I go, great. It's not doing anything. What do I have to do with this seed for it to become useful? Plant it. I got, or eat it. You could eat it too. Okay, But i got to plant the thing. I have to plant it for the weather to begin to wear on the seed, to break this seed open for the plant to come forth. I can say I have faith. This was James's argument. And if I don't do anything, my faith is useless. It is dead. It is unproven. It is untested. It is practical atheism. God's testing is not for him to discern. He knows. In the testing of our faith, we learn. It becomes real. It becomes proven. And so God is going to put Abraham to the test. And I love Abraham's response. You know, do you, th do you think of military guy? Yes, sir. You know, here I am. Here I am. It's like he's standing up straight and going, yeah. Why? Abraham has lived with God guiding him now for over 35 years. He's well into his hundreds now. We're going to see that Isaac is now grown. And God has proven himself faithful Abraham knows his voice. And it's like, yes, here I am. I'm ready. What, 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 what? Verse 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. 
your son. Your only son. Whom you love. Yes. As we read in here, we're going to see that Isaac is no longer a little boy. Um, There's argument about how old he might be. I would say at the youngest, he's maybe 12 or 13. He could be as old as Corbin. He could be in his early 20s here. How old? Ah, I can't say. But Abraham has now enjoyed the son of his promise up into his teens. Offer your son as a burnt offering. If you're just reading through the Bible and you haven't come across this, if if that doesn't make you just go, what? You're not paying attention. As you go through scripture, you're going to find out that God forbids human sacrifice. Do not sacrifice your children as unto Molech, he told them in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Don't do it. In Deuteronomy 12, he indicts the land of Canaan where Israel is going to go in, one of the things that God has against them is that they are offering their children to the gods. They burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. This is a stench to God's nostrils. God is going to bring them to judgment. It continues even into Jeremiah. You know, the... You hear of Gehenna, the valley of Gehenna, the valley of the son of Hinnom outside of Jerusalem. It was the dump where they would go and burn their trash. It was also a place when the pagans had Jerusalem where they would go and offer their sons. And he says, to, to burn their sons and their daughters in their fire, which I did not command, nor did it even come into my mind. You go, this is, this is contrary to God to do such a thing. And this is the thing that God is commanding. And we recoil looking back across the centuries. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, God is not tempted by evil, nor will he tempt anyone with evil. And so therefore we go, how can this be? Every one of us, when we are born, has a death sentence on our head. We are condemned to die because we are born in sin. How we die is out of our control. It's supposed to be. It is in God's hands. We are all sentenced to death. How we die is at His discretion. That is true of Isaac. Isaac was, like David, conceived in sin. 
And so God is absolutely just in asking for the death of any. Okay, still. Offer your only son. But this is the son of the promise. This is the son that God said, this is the one I'm, I'm going to use to make you a great nation and, and names and all that. And you're going to ask me to sacrifice my son? This is the son of the wife of my youth. We have no children if we finally have a son. What a test. And on the heels of this staggering test, we see a staggering faith that Abraham is willing to sacrifice that which he loves. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Do you want to ask him some questions? You want to go, hey, Abraham. And, and this, is, this is kind of a sweet thing for, for the saint. When we get in glory, we can talk to him. We will be able to talk to him and hear more of what went on kind of behind the scenes. But the narrative, I believe, as it is God's inspired word, shows us that Abraham never flinches. He doesn't flinch. He gets up early the next morning, gets everything ready takes some assistance, saddles his donkey, and away they go. Does, does his mind recoil? Does, is he thinking about what abouts? How comes? What ifs? We saw a hint of it in Hebrews. We're going to go back to that a little bit later. But what we see in the narrative is his faith carries him straight to Mount Moriah. He acts, he does, he obeys what God has commanded him to do. Got up early, two aides, got some wood, three days journey, off they went. They get there. Verse 5, Abraham says to the young man, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. Okay, there's the, the word boy. How, how old is that? And again, Teenage to early 20s, we're guessing. We'll go over there and we will worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Okay, so Isaac's fairly strong anyway. So we are going to worship and we are going to return. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. 
And Isaac, the son of the promise, and I have no doubt in my mind that Isaac knows how he came to be. You know, most, most parents tell their children about, you know, time before the child was conceived or whatever, how the child came to be in the family. That's, that's part of the story. Well, Isaac has to know that he is unique. He is special. He is a child of promise. And off they go. And finally, it's, it's kind of a light bulb moment. As Isaac looks around and goes, I got the wood, you got the fire, you got the knife. We got no sacrifice, Dad. Um, Dad. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And for the second time, Abraham says, here I am. You have my full and undivided attention, my beloved son. Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Did he lie? Is Abraham lying going, What am I going to do? God provided Isaac to Abraham. God did provide the lamb. God did provide the sacrifice. Is Abraham lying? Flip over to Hebrews. Hold your place in Genesis 22. We're going to come right back to it. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. And there is perhaps no greater example of faith being exercised than this. Verse 17 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises already was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham didn't lie. He believed that God was going to do something beyond what he could ask or imagine. But he was obedient. He trusted what God had called him to do. So we've got the staggering faith of Abraham to get to this point. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Isaac. They get up there. 
They build the altar, and Dad goes, it's you. Abraham's over a hundred years old. Isaac's prime. I'm thinking Isaac could have taken his dad. But again, we don't see Isaac flinch. Isaac allows himself to be bound and laid upon the wood. And he sees his dad raise a knife over him to slay him. I'm the son of promise. Dad has doted on me. Dad has loved me. Dad has given me everything. He has lavished everything upon me. He said, we will go worship and come back again. And I looked around, but there wasn't a lamb. There was nothing. But dad, dad said, it's okay. And Isaac trusts his dad to the death. I've got a long life. I'm supposed to be the man of blessing. But here God has called for me to be sacrificed. Okay. Okay. No, you're not going to have a career in the NFL. No, you're not going to have children. No, you're not going to ever see again. No, you're going to die in two years. No, 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 no. Okay. Do I trust the hand of my God? Can you? Would you? Put yourself in either one of these sandals. Consider Abraham. Consider Isaac. Where do you stand with what God has called you to do? As a believer, does God call me to give up my greatest treasure for him? Consider Paul's words. This Actually, turn. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. I want these words for you to see them. I want you to hear Paul's emphasis as he is talking about all that he was. I mean, he was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he had everything. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of... Of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may, by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I, Paul, Paul says, I will give it all up for Christ because it, it is far surpassing all the rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Do I believe this? God said, you shall have no other gods before me. He exhorted his people, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because it's stupid. It's like, you look at somebody and go, are you dumb? You've got God and you're playing with garbage. You're playing with a tin can that's got worms in it. You've got God. You shall have no other gods before me. Consider the story of the rich man who comes to Jesus, the rich young ruler. Oh, Lord, what must I do to attain eternal life? And the Lord starts listing off the commandments. Yeah, I've done all these things. In Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus loved him. And then Jesus tells him, go and sell all that you have. And then come and follow me. There's your choice. Go and sell, rich young ruler, all that you have. Why? Because God the Son knew that that stood in his way of loving Christ. Jesus loved him. The young ruler loved his money. He didn't want eternal life, he wanted things. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Again, I want your eyes to fall on these words. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 44 to 46. Matthew chapter 13. Actually, we'll just look at 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure... In a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. For the joy. Oh, this is the best. This is the best. You're my all. You're the best. There is nothing. For that joy, for that joy of having that thing, he sells all that he has that he might obtain that. So saint, you who are redeemed, you who know the wretchedness of your sin and the inestimable worth of the sacrifice of Christ, what stands before you and God? Isaac was a good thing. Isaac was given to Abraham by God. 
but was Isaac becoming too big a thing to him? How dear is 34 years of marriage? How dear is a newborn child? How wonderful a job that we like and enjoy. How great to watch a movie together. We have many good things. Friends, homes, jobs, all of these. Do any of these stand between you and the living God? God will cotton no rivals. Those are the good things. Now the sin is easy. You know, of of course we go blah. Yeah, we understand that. But the good things that get in the way? Has sin become my God? Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Either it's true or it's not. If you have anything that you adore more than Christ, you're in trouble. Am I willing to set my books aside, my games aside? Am I willing to turn off the television? Am I going to look at my fitness regime versus my spiritual regime regimen? Will I drive my children all over town so that they can be part of activities, but they have no spiritual life? Isaac. Man, what do I do with Isaac? Am I going to trust God's sharp knife raised over my life? Job did. Though he slay me, yet I will worship God. I will hope in him. Though he slay me, Will you accept sickness? I mean, I know here in this place, we've got all kinds of problems. We've got a back that just is terrible. And kidney stones that are coming all the time. My bride is having surgery this week. I've got neck pains. I have this nightmare of opening up my USAA account and seeing a big zero. Why? Because all my money is electronic. Am I willing? Will I suffer poverty for the Lord? Will I trust Him? As somebody I love is sentenced to death, either through sickness or through legal reasons. Am I going to reject God's plain teaching to be accepted by my friends or my coworkers? To get a like on Facebook or Instagram. Paul said, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light and momentary affliction. You know, the the pain you're suffering. This light and momentary affliction. This persecution, this stoning, this shipwrecking. This hanging, this beheading, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, 
But we look to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Am I willing to say, after sweating blood, after crying out, I don't want to do this, am I willing to stand up and say, not my will, but thy will be done? Am I willing to let my Father bind me and lay me down? Back to Genesis 22. God has more in store for you than you could ever ask or imagine. When last we left, the knife was in the air in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. As it is said to this day, and I'm going to leave that here for a moment. Now, again, we talked about the omniscience of God. It's not that, oh, now I know that you're going to be faithful. No, now it is proven. Now it is proven for all to see. For us to hear some 3,000, 4,000 years later, this truth. Now we know. And God provides a ram in the thicket. Where's that thing been? You know, did they not notice that before? There's a ram stuck in the thicket. Did it just happen? I don't, I don't know. Interesting part of the story. Was it just laying there quiet and they missed it? Pick it up in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself, because there is no other thing greater by which God may swear. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have trusted me. Because you love me greater than your son. As it should be. You are properly aligned and oriented with the living God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Prepared for those who love Him. Not prepared for all mankind. Not prepared for the mushy and nominal. For those who love Him. David recognized it. He says, I have no good apart from you. In your presence only is fullness of joy. So saint, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind to get our eyes off the baubles of this world, to not be a covetous people, 
to not set up idols with our children or with our spouse or with our cool cars or our airplanes or whatever. It's not going to happen by chance. It is not natural. We must walk in the spirit. We must abide with Christ to be in fellowship and in prayer and in passionate love of his word. I delight in him and will I trust in him and do what he calls me to do. This place that they went, Moriah. It's a place and it kind of passes by for a a lot of years, about a thousand years, a thousand years later. David, the king, long after Bathsheba and the problem with Absalom, wants to make a census of his people. And all of his commanders go, uh, no, no, oh, I, re- I want to see how big we are. I want to see how great we are. And they're saying, don't do this thing. But David does it. And God is displeased with David. And he tells David, I will send you a, tr- a, a group of threes. You can have three years of famine in the land. You can have three months of, of being beset by your enemies. Or you can have three days in my hand. And David, in his trust of the Lord, says, I will take three days in your hand. 70,000 people in Jerusalem died because of the pestilence that God sent because of David's sin against God. And David cried out, Oh, behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house at this time the angel of the lord was seen with its sword drawn over the threshing floor of a guy named arana or ornan depending on whether you're reading in samuel or chronicles and david and the dudes out there threshing his wheat while all this is going on and david comes up to him and says i want to buy this place and arana said here take it cheers and here, you want to offer a sacrifice, here, here are the oxen and the wood to do it. And David said, no, no, no. It's got to be my sacrifice. I'm paying for it. And so he bought the threshing floor of Ornan, Arona, and sacrificed there, and God's hand was stayed. In First Chronicles chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 22, in the telling of this story, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Actually, it's in 21 that the telling is. But David says right in the first verse of 22, Here shall be the house of the Lord, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. This is going to be the place of the temple on this threshing, threshing floor of Arana. And you go, oh, that's nice. You go, so what? Well, if you flip over into 2 Chronicles chapter 3, When it comes time for Solomon to build the temple on this place. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 1. On Mount Moriah. Where the Lord had appeared to David his father. At the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. 
It is on Mount Moriah, the very same place that Abraham raised his knife against his son and had his hand stayed by the Lord. That the temple of the Lord was built 1,000 years after Abraham. 1,000 years after the temple was built, God the Son walked in the temple. And the Father did not stay his hand. There was another son to be sacrificed in that place. But so cursed was the perfect sacrifice of God the Son that it was taken outside of the city and nailed to a cross. The perfect sacrifice. And God the Father did not stay his hand, but poured out his wrath to make a way for us to return to him, to make a way for us to rejoice and delight in him. Don't have any other thing for us to put off the sin that so easily entangles us and for us to see that our place in this world is ordered by him and not to be consumed by the things of this world. Abraham and Isaac went home, never to be the same again, knowing in a new way, in a fuller way, God's provision. So what about us? Here today, I know that there are the chances are very good that there are some who do not know God. There are some who may have nothing for Him. There may be some who are striving after ways to please Him and get right with Him. You can't. The sacrifice has already been done. To the saint, what stands before you and God? Are you facing anything in your life right now where trust is an issue. Let the example of Abraham and Isaac move you into a greater faith with God as you trust Him in your own life. Let's bow together. And so, my brothers and sisters here even, I'll be quiet for a bit. I'll give you time to do business with the Lord in your own heart. God, oh, let us not follow after false ways. Oh God, for those of us who call upon your name, open our eyes to the idols in our lives that we might cast them aside, that we might love you as we should. Lord, that we would be willing to slay these things that have gotten in our way.
of loving you well. God, burden our hearts to the good things and even to the bad things, to the sin that entangles us, that we might put it off, that we might confess it, that we might receive the cleansing that you promised by your hand, that we and our worship in our lives might be a delight to you as we delight in you. Oh God, for any here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would see the goodness and the greatness and the wonder of life with you, the fullness of joy that David spoke of, that we would all have a hope eternal, that we would be excited not only for this life but for the next because we get to live it and run it with you. God, be glorified in your people and in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.